0: Hello and welcome, gather round, I trust that we're all doing fine this evening. Tonight's video is a collection of scary cryptid stories, ranging from black eyed children and skinwalkers to the goat man and wendigos, so without further ado, let's begin. This happened to my brother, not to me, but I remember the night it happened and it still gives me chills to this day. I can still remember the sound of him running up the stairs screaming, no, 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 the look in his face and him shaking uncontrollably. It happened about 15 years ago, and this is exactly how he still explains his story to this day. Our parents' old house had a den, which had a few couches, a bathroom, a TV, and a laundry room. My brother and I had all our video game stuff down in the den, our computers, um, etc., it was basically a room that only we used. So one night, after a late night of video games, we both took a couch and watched a little TV before calling it a night. I fell asleep, woke up later and went up to my room, leaving my bro still sleeping on another couch. The other couch he was lying on was against a wall. While laying back on the couch, you could see the TV and if you looked straight over your feet, you could see a very small hallway and a bathroom door which was open all the time. We had a dog called Candy, a small Springer Spaniel. My brother said he woke up to a noise in the bathroom. The lights were all off in the house, only street lamps and moonlight preventing it from being pitch black. He told me that the noise was a growl, and he knew it wasn't the dog. But in the moment, he so hoped it was. He said he quickly shot up from the laying down position and could clearly see a small black shadow running in circles on the bathroom floor. The bathroom floor was tile and you would definitely be able to hear the dog's claws as they touched the bathroom floor. Especially at that speed, it was running in circles. But my brother said he heard nothing, so he then called out the dog's name, hoping that it was her and that it would stop doing whatever it was doing. Candy, he yelled, and as soon as whatever it was heard that, it stopped immediately. He then heard what he explains as a gurgly growl. At that point, he knew what he already knew. It wasn't the dog. Whatever it was started growing, larger and larger, soon taking up the whole bathroom with its size. It's funny now, but my brother explained the creature looking like Doomsday from DC Comics. Not to discredit the whole story by saying he looked like a comic book villain, but to a 14-year-old, this was his best comparison to what he saw. He said that he didn't remember how he was able to move so quickly, but he ran up both flights of stairs screaming no, no, no. He woke up the whole house. Sometimes it still keeps him up all these years later. He was never visited by the creature again. Me, being into that sort of thing, I was never able to find something that could possibly be what he saw. It had to be supernatural. It was in the house and then disappeared. My only explanation is it was a demon of some sort. Or perhaps it's some kind of humanoid. I'm not entirely sure. Any help would be appreciated. Thank you. My wife and I have been running the rat race for years. With a family, a house in the city, two dogs, a cat. The stereotypical American dream. But the city took its toll. The neighbourhood got worse, the crime rose and we found ourselves looking for a way out. Our opportunity came when I was offered a new job out of state. It was a great career move, but we didn't want to move to a new city just to have the same problems again. So we started looking around and found a great mountain community about an hour and a half from the job, and a great ranch style house with a big black porch, windows everywhere and a lot of property. The backyard has a big grassy area and a creek that cuts the property in half, then acres of woods beyond. It's huge. The house is more than twice the size of our house in the city. It's all updated and has no neighbours within a mile. It's a radical change from the life we lived in the city, but best of all, it was less than half of what we were paying for our old house. The house was a foreclosure and when we asked the listing agent about it, She simply said the old family had abandoned this property, we really didn't think anything of it. The first three months were uneventful, with us settling into our new life, the kids getting used to the new school and new friends, and most of all, us getting used to the big house and property. But then the weather turned cold and things started to get weird on the property. It started with noises from the back property, things we chalked up to being in the woods, Then the motion lights around the house started going off randomly. Once again, we just chalked it up to being in the woods. But last night, it all changed. Last night was the most terrifying night of my life. One of the dogs was at the back door whining and scratching. I assumed he needed to go in the bathroom, so I grabbed my flashlight and walked out the back door. Instantly, something felt off. The dog bolted for the back property growling and snarling. It was a cold night, about 30 degrees, but the dog plunged straight into the creek and out the other bank, running off into the woods and in the back of the property. Flashlight bouncing, I ran after him, calling his name. I got to the creek and made my way across the makeshift bridge trying desperately to follow him. I could hear the dog still growling and barking from somewhere up ahead and I pushed farther away for the safety of the house and deeper into the woods. That's when I heard it. A shriek like I've never heard before in my life. It was a mix of a moaning wail and metal on metal. It echoed through the trees and froze me in my tracks. My dog bounded its way back to me and cowered down behind me. I turned around and could just make out the warm glow of the house behind me and the cold dark ahead of me. I swung my flashlight around wildly, looking for the source of the noise, and that's when I heard an even more terrifying noise. Out of the cold silence, my wife's voice floated all around me. ''Babe!'' the voice called out. I whipped back around and could just barely make out the image of my wife, safely inside our house. The voice called out again. ''Babe, I'm right here!'' came the voice from deeper into the woods. Then came another voice just as clear as the other. It was my dad's voice. Come out here, it called. I swung the flashlight around again and this time caught the briefest glint of light bouncing off eyes. The creature was in my beam of light for barely a second, but it was tall, maybe six feet and ashen white. It had long spindly fingers that gaffed the trunks of pine tree, and then it was gone. I turned back and ran towards the house. I ran headlong into the icy creek and stumbled, my dog ran past me, making it back to the yard and up to the porch. I dug my hands into the freezing muddy bank and pulled myself out, not stopping to look back. When I reached the porch, I scrambled inside. My wife ran over to me, asking what had happened. I just shook my head. I'm not certain to myself what happened. I had a growing sense of dread tonight as the sun began to fall. We kept the dogs inside and I haven't dared to look out the back. But as I sit here typing, one by one, the motion lights in the backyard keep going on. I'm an 18 year old male that has had two strange encounters in my life so far. The first was seeing a UFO and the second is what I'm about to share here. So it was around 1am and I was gaming on my PC since it was a weekend and I didn't have to worry about waking up for school. I stood up from my desk and made my way to the bathroom. I did my business as usual but noticed that the window was open. It was one of those windows that you had to slide to open and close and since I live in Australia it had mosquito netting. Although it was pitch black outside during the day it had rained on and off multiple times and with the wind was picking up I thought we'd go and close the window directly in case it rained again. The window was located directly above the bathtub, so in order to reach it I had to put one foot inside. This window would always require a bit of effort to close, so I started to close it. It made its usual sound as it dragged against the frame. Now before I get into the scary part, I have to explain the layout of the house. This was my old two-storey apartment complex and outside and under the window is a little roof overhang which shields the back door. As soon as the window started to close, I heard two loud footsteps banging on the roof and then for a half second I saw the silhouette of a humanoid being, which was entirely black, go past the window as if it had jumped. I heard no landing sound but this was entirely possible since the fence to the left of the bathroom was about two metres away and had tall grass on the other side. Now, I know it was really dark, but I swear this wasn't a bird or a bat, with its outstretched wings. It was definitely humanoid shape and much too large to be a possum. I instinctively jerked back out of the bathtub and ran into my parents' room screaming and waking them up. Now, this is the part that makes me feel sick on my stomach. My parents' curtains were open, which is normal for them. But this means that the creature would have been staring in at my sleeping parents and three-year-old sisters since their window has rested slightly above the overhang previously mentioned. I don't know how I managed to sleep that night. If this was truly an alien, then it was only one meter away from me through a wall and a window. I will reply to any questions you guys might have. Three months ago, I was camping with a friend in a very remote part of Northern California. I'm a massive wilderness junkie, I've been camping all my life and I spend much of my free time hiking, rock climbing or hunting. A buddy of mine who also enjoys the outdoors wanted to head up to the Sierras for a weekend and asked me to go with him. It was our second night and we were sitting up by the fire. We weren't staying at a campsite. We had hiked about 10 miles from our cars to a clearing with a beautiful view he had stayed at once before. At around 10pm, my buddy got tired and went to sleep in his tent, and I wanted to stay up for a while. About 45 minutes after he went to bed, I saw this object coming up from the valley below. It was a basic flying saucer shape with multiple circular lights rotating around the edges that changed colours over and over. I was absolutely shocked. I watched it for maybe 15 seconds then decided I had to wake him up so he could see it and I wouldn't think I was crazy. I stood and when I looked back towards it, the thing was gone. I called out his name and that's when everything got really messed up. I didn't hear my own voice when called out, everything was completely silent. I could move my eyes around but couldn't move my body. I remember seeing the fire had completely frozen and everything looked like a picture, like time had stopped or something. Then there was a flash of light and I blacked out. I woke up later just as the sun was starting to rise. I was outside laying in the dirt shivering next to fire that had long gone out. I felt like I had been drugged, totally in haze. I sluggishly yelled out my friend's name a couple of times and he came out of the tent. He was really confused to say the least. I tried to explain what had happened but my memory was really foggy and I just couldn't articulate it. We left within 30 minutes. I was totally silent in the car ride back, falling in and out of sleep for 7 hours. He dropped me off at my house and I passed out for basically an entire day. A few weeks later, I was messing around with an amp and it released this static sound when I unplugged my guitar. For some reason this sound somewhat triggered my memory and I remembered everything. When I came back into consciousness, I was suspended laterally in a circular mechanism in a position very similar to da Vinci's Vitruvian Man. These clear glass-like shackles type restraints were holding me in place. I was completely nude and standing above me were three typical aliens. They were around four feet tall and were wearing white spandex-like suits. Two were just standing there observing the other, who was extracting blood from a vein under my armpit with this weird-looking syringe. Although they didn't show any real reaction, I could still tell that they were surprised that I was awake. I couldn't move at all except for my eyes and lips. I was absolutely terrified. In a sort of fight-or-flight mode, my heart pounding from an influx of adrenaline, I can't even begin to tell you how scared I was but I also felt total rage. I wanted to kill them, wanted to rip out this device and completely destroy them. My brain went total primal, just animal instinct and I could just tell that they could sense my anger because they all stepped back, simultaneously. I'm 63185 and I was hoping I looked as threatening as possible which is silly because I was totally paralysed and therefore completely harmless. Two of them disappeared from my view and presumably left the room. The other one was just staring at me void of any emotion. I wanted to so badly just shut my eyes but I forced myself to stare right back at it, trying my hardest not to blink. Then the two others came back and now they weren't alone. I honestly couldn't believe my eyes. Standing behind them were two very tall, very human-like looking beings a male and a female. They looked like Norse gods, with bright golden hair and massive eyes. The males were dark blue and females were violet. I suppose they are what the UFO community refers to as Nordics. This was quite bizarre to me. My family descended from Sweden and I am very Nordic looking, blonde hair, blue eyes, the works. I know this is cliche, but I heard a feminine voice in my mind. For some reason I could understand what she was telling me although it wasn't like she was saying anything in English. She told me something like, be calm, you're not in danger. I relaxed and asked her what they wanted with me. She said that they were just checking up on me. I practically blacked out after hearing that. I asked her what she meant. She said that she had saved me when I first came into the being. I immediately knew exactly what she was talking about. I was born practically two months premature. My mother was horribly sick during labour. We both had fevers of 104. The strange thing is, the doctors had absolutely no idea what was wrong with us. I was given two spinal taps, my mother three. I spent four nights in that bubble housing ICU thing. There was a decent chance I was going to die. Then one day I started getting better and made a full recovery. The doctors were very worried that the whole ordeal might have permanently damaged my body and possibly my brain, but I was totally fine. I asked her, why did you save me? This time I heard a deep male voice stating that this is a conversation for a later time. I asked them if they are human, he said no. I was confused considering that they looked quite human. I asked him if man had come from them. He said yes, that they had come here 200,000 years ago and created mankind by combining their DNA with that of our primate ancestors. I wanted to know why they looked especially similar to me more than other humans. He stated that many males of their kind found female humans attractive and mated with them. This directly passed on some of their physical features to Nordic peoples. I wanted to know more, but they declined and said it was time for me to go back. I blacked out instantly and woke up by the extinguished campfire, clothes on and shivering. I understand that this does sound absolutely ridiculous and very impossible, but it happened. I don't know what to do. I have been completely lost since the encounter, but I already feel a bit of relief after posting my story here. I've never had an experience myself, but I do believe in this and similar phenomena. I had never spoken with my girlfriend about this sub, unknown humanoids or any paranormal occurrences for that matter. On Friday night, she and I were at a friend's house and decided to leave at around 1am. It's very foggy outside, being that we live near rivers and creeks in rural Illinois. She goes to the gas station on her way home to the rural town where we both live about a block away from each other. I get home and don't hear from her for a bit anyway, until she calls me very shaken up and crying. She says on her drive home she saw something crouched in the road on the right side. It looked to be fairly small, possibly a child. She rolled her window down and asked if they were okay and got no answer. She pulls over and gets out of the car, walked up to whatever this was and attempted to ask if it needed any help. The thing stands up on two feet at over six feet and lets out a good awful screech and runs off off the road into some pretty dense wood near a tributary of the Kaskaskia River. She can't say if it was a boy or a girl, but can say she's never heard something like that before. She's pretty jarred up about the experience. I'm not sure if this is the right place to post this, but I'm scared beyond belief. After hearing stories and looking stuff up online, I'm fairly sure it was a Wendigo. Me, my son and girlfriend were attacked by something. We were camping up in the northmost area of Washington. My girlfriend is incredibly superstitious, so she insisted we brought weapons. So I had my combat knife and a 12-gauge shotgun and she brought a .22 rifle alongside a newly sharpened machete. Our son was just three years old at the time. She and I were set on edge from a park ranger, who seemed very tense and uneasy, who stopped us and instead of confiscating our weapons, told us to be careful and stay safe, then sent us along our way to the camp. When we got there, we were informed that several visitors had spoken about some unnatural noises, and a pale creature that would mimic voices and sounds of people who weren't talking or seeming to be distracted. I laughed and put the idea out of my mind, thinking myself, there's no way, they must be messing with us, but I knew better, so then reached the area we were going to set up camp. We immediately got a fire ready to light and set up our tent and bags. I fed my son as my girlfriend ate a snack. We decided to get a lay of the area. So me and my girlfriend hiking around for about an hour or so, I had one of those baby-carrying backpacks and my son started to get real heavy. Everything seemed normal until I saw something down the almost path we were on. We walked closer to investigate and saw drag marks. It looked as if someone had killed a buck. There was a whole outline in the dirt with a small dried pool of blood as if someone grabbed it from the antlers and pulled. That wouldn't be possible for any man to do. The buck or whatever it was would have been way too big for that. Shaken, we rushed back to base camp and we started a fire and hurried back into our tent. Too afraid to leave since it was dusk by now, we stayed inside the tent and my girlfriend put her son to bed. Eventually, probably from the exhaustion of fright, we fell asleep. What must have been hours later, I woke to a faint rasping sound that sounded like a child crying. I gazed outside in confusion and saw the outline of a creature that seemed to be a buck, standing over something. It seemed to be about 20 feet away, but at a closer glance had a naturally long limbs for a buck, and was eerily tall. In sudden fear, I unloaded two shots into the creature and heard a loud blood-curling cry. My girlfriend awoke screaming to the shots I had fired as I tried to explain what I had heard. To my surprise the animal hadn't moved an inch. Then I noticed the stains on the side of the animal. It looked like blood was running down the edge, and lots of it. It stared at me deep into my eyes as I became petrified with fear. A sinister feeling of dread fell over me as if it knew I couldn't move. I thought to myself, What if it starts to bolt towards us? Just then, this tall decrepit demonic thing seemed to whisper something. I couldn't exactly tell what it was saying, but it seemed to have said, I need more children. My girlfriend screamed asking where our son was. We blacked out and in the morning we awoke to park rangers at our campsite. We didn't see our son anywhere. We told the rangers that he was missing and they started a search party. I explained what had happened and strangely they seemed to believe it. The one who seemed to be older by at least a decade pulled along the one we met earlier and whispered in his ear. I only heard a single line and I am not even sure if it was what I had heard, but it sounded like he said, it's getting bolder. They didn't seem to want us by ourselves so they waited with us while they continued the search. We stayed in a log cabin for three days with a forest ranger when suddenly some rangers came into the cabin saying that they couldn't find our son. My girlfriend starts to sob. I start to hate myself thinking that I could have done something if I wasn't frozen in fear. We rushed outside only to find some injured and frightened police officials. The rangers wouldn't tell us anything of what happened or what they saw, or why the cops were scared shitless. All we know is that we don't have a son anymore. God help whoever goes into that forest next. And please, please don't bring your kids with you. This happened in the middle of the night at my mum's house some years back in Northern California. I was asleep on the floor in the living room. Next to the living room is a room that can be seen through two large windows and French doors. We call it the middle room. Next to that was my mum and stepdad's bedroom. The light in the middle room was left on partly dimmed at night. I woke up and saw three short, what I can only presume to be grey aliens walking around in the middle room. They were about 5 feet tall, had long, skinny arms, and were wearing dark-coloured jumpsuits. The arms stood out to me the most because of how thin they were, no muscle tone like you would see in a human. The eyes looked solid black and were larger than a human's though not as large as shown in some depictions. I don't remember about the nose and mouth other than those features were small and not noticeable. I don't remember any details about the hands. I was able to sit up partway as I was watching them, but I had no energy to do anything else. They didn't seem to notice that I was watching them. Within a couple of minutes, I fell back asleep. I'm guessing that they transmit something to keep everyone passed out, but sometimes it doesn't always work. Here's the kicker. In the morning, my mum walked in and said the aliens were there the night before. I then told her that I saw them too and asked her how many there were and what they looked like. Her description matched what I had seen. She's had other alien encounters, but this was the only time there was a witness, being me. This story happened to my sister, who is a traveling registered nurse. Her occupation takes her all over the Navajo Nation Reservation. So most times her husband, when he is available, will drive her from and to her next shift. She worked a night shift mostly. They have never shared a ghost story before this or since. It was between 2.45am and 3am in the summer time. If you're from the Res, you know that most nights are arid with a slight cool breeze. When she had finished her shift, sometime around midnight, her husband was driving. Her next job was in Chiln, so they decided to go through Kayenta. They were driving on that stretch of desolate highway between Round Rock and Lukachiku. The streetlights from the homes are scattered in the horizon, miles away, apart, and most times it is just pitch black. She was half asleep but alert because of all the caffeine in her system and the fact that she is used to being awake all night because of her job. They had not seen another vehicle for an hour or so and were not familiar with the area having only driven through the area a few times. She said they were driving on the roads and in front of them, probably about a football field's length, she noticed something splattered across the two-lane highway. She said it was dark. Roadkill or dead livestock on the road is a common thing in reservation due to poor fencing and highway maintenance. She figured it looked familiar and not too out of place, but as they got closer, she said she remembers the shimmer of the dark matter, like wet pavement. She thought to herself, it must be recent blood splatter if it's still wet. Her eyes began darting across the landscape and trying to assess the damage looking for the animal carcass. The blood puddle spanned the width of the highway she thought it had been from a large animal like a cow or a horse. But she couldn't locate the large bloated carcass of any livestock. Something didn't feel quite right. As rural as the location was and how recent the seemingly wet blood was she figured no one could have been there that quickly to dispose of the roadkill. As soon as she came to the conclusion in her head, she said her instincts took over. She felt like someone kicked her in the stomach, like the ground falling out beneath you, or the way you feel and dropped in a roller coaster, but no joyous emotion. It felt bad or evil. She jolted upright and began trying to scan the dark horizon for any clues. Her husband later said he didn't want to scare her but came to the same conclusion silently by himself. She said her blood froze and her heart skipped a beat when she made out a silhouette slowly rising on the left shoulder of the highway. Her mind began to race with what it could possibly be. We haven't passed any vehicles in a long time and we are far from the nearest residence. What could be out in the middle of nowhere this late and this isolated? It was standing upright and facing the opposite direction. Her husband began to speed up as they neared it, she doesn't want to look because everything about the situation seems wrong and she doesn't want to see something she can't unsee. Too late, it's in her peripheral and she doesn't want to close her eyes because she said that would be more terrifying. Her eyes stay straight ahead, but her curiosity gets the best of her, and her eyes wander off to the left. As the headlights hit the silhouette almost full-on, she said it looked like a person standing there, wrapped in a white sheet. A white sheet that has been splattered with blood. The figure stands completely still, not flinching or shuddering from the lights of the vehicle. The figure seems to have shoulder-length black hair that looks jaggedly cut. She said the way the hair hung off the head of the figure, it looked matted or greased and not free-flowing or clean. They are passing the figure, her husband trying to stay on the pavement but the furthest away from the left shoulder that that road will allow. She can't make out the face because the figure has its head bowed down and the hands out in front of it in a prayer stance. Neither of them speak. Our mind is rushing with the thoughts like, what if the vehicle stops working, or whatever that was starts chasing us? Who would be able to help us? They make it to the intersection towards many farms, a sigh of relief. That's one of the reasons Navajo elders tell you to never drive it dark or really late. This happened to my mother, actually, and she told me about it later that night. After we moved to the middle of nowhere about a year and a half ago, I began researching paranormal as a sort of hobby, if you will. My family is an hour away from any nearby town and surrounded by sparse woods filled with dark pine and gnarled old oaks that give me the creeps. I think this fueled my research in the paranormal as it's such an unnerving setting right outside the window. I ended up stumbling across skinwalkers one day in my research and was instantly drawn to them. I'm not sure why. Maybe the fact it was a tangible creature, I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, about a month into my odd obsession, I left at about 5am with my brother for the nearest town an hour away to stay with her grandparents for the night. That night, my mother called to tell me about an odd encounter she had with a deer about half an hour after my brother and I left. She was home alone and had just gotten out of the shower. The sun was just starting to come up, so it was still relatively dark outside, and she heard two short, sharp knocks on the window and the two family dogs started going absolutely nuts in the living room. She walked out into the living room and saw a stag standing on its hind legs peering into the living room window. The family dogs, otherwise good-natured and familiar with deer at this point, were snarling, their hackles raised as she said she could see the whites of their eyes. When it turned and saw my mum standing there, she said it blew air out of its nose, fogging up the window, that's how cold it was, and dropped down onto all floors again before slowly wandering off down the driveway. My mum thought she had had a rare encounter with a deer and was excited to tell me about it since we both love animals, but it made my blood run cold and scared the crap out of me. Personally, it feels way too well timed to be a coincidence. I have stopped my research, all of it actually, into anything paranormal. We haven't had anything similar happen since, I am glad to report. This happened in northeast Colombia in early August of 2018. The area in which this happened is on a road beside the woods with some suburban communities lying here and there. The thing is, 20 to maybe 25 years ago, the area was deep in the woods. There were no neighbourhoods, just scattered houses here and there. Here's what happened I was driving on a quiet, overcast, gloomy day. I turned a corner and noticed the road was void of any traffic, which was strange for this time of day. I looked ahead and about a thousand feet in front of me was something I'd never seen before. There was this creature with an orange colour to it. Now mind you, I've been driving this road several times a week for the past ten years, so I'm going to notice when something doesn't look right. Anyway, this thing I saw was running across the road very quickly. So fast I know it wasn't a person or even an animal, because it was running on two legs. I believe it had a tail and I swear it looked like a fox or maybe even a coyote, except for the fact that those don't run on their hind legs. I feel like I should mention that there was a subdivision on the side of the road I was running toward, so I guess that's where it was determined to go. Once it got across the road, it just vanished into thin air. I'll never forget how that thing just glided across the road, and how fast it was going. The whole event only lasted maybe 3 or 5 seconds, but it felt so much longer. I didn't get eye contact with it, because it was too far away. I've heard people say that Native Americans have a better chance of seeing these things. I am part Native American and have some family that still lives on a reservation. I'm not too familiar with a lot of their practices or traditions other than what I've read in books and on the internet. If anyone here would like to help me understand what happened, it would be greatly appreciated. I've been spooked and sort of obsessed about my experience since it happened. At times I can't stop thinking about it. So I posted my experience a few weeks ago and got some good feedback. I was even asked about some other stories and experiences I might have had so I asked around my family to see what I could find. My dad said of the family is majority Navajo and I definitely did not come up short with experiences and stories. This story came from my great-grandmother and takes place on an old reservation in Arizona about 32 years ago. She had a pretty decent-sized property on this property, she had three Hogan's, a large cornfield adjacent to three Hogan's, a large well on opposite side of the cornfield, and a grazing pasture for her twelve sheep and four horses. At the end of the day, she would take a horse and herd the sheep into a small pen closer to the house. While telling the story, this is where she got uneasy. She would keep nervously scratching her neck and looking around, she said that one day she told everyone she was going out to herd a sheep as usual. She hopped on her favourite horse and found a sheep probably a mile or so away from the house. She counted 11 sheep, so she started to search for the other by making circles around the area, increasing the diameter of each circle as she progressed. She found the last sheep up in the hill from the herd, standing alone in the open. She spurred her horse and started trotting over. When she got closer, she said she started to notice whatever she was seeing was definitely not a sheep. At the same time she noticed, her horse stopped in its tracks, and its ears perked up. She said that the way it was standing gave it away, and the wool of the sheep didn't look right, almost like it had been taped on and was starting to fall off to one side. It was hard for me to believe what happened next, but she said that it stood up and turned around. It was an old medicine man with a sheepskin cloak. But this isn't what she had seen before. He stared at her, and she said the bloodlust in his eyes made her want to cry and hide. The horse reared up at the sight of this, throwing her to the ground, and she blacked out. Now, this is where I started to believe the story. A few hours later, my father, grandfather, and uncle hopped on their horses and rode out to look for her. They found a the herd of sheep and started to panic when she wasn't nearby. They followed the tracks up the hill and found her unconscious in the snow. Her horse had been slaughtered. A section of its throat was missing and it had multiple scratch wounds on its chest and front legs that my grandfather said had to be at least an inch and a half deep. Around my grandmother is a perfect circle where footprints and handprints, like someone had been trotting around her on all fours. My grandfather was emphasised at a perfect circle. My grandmother doesn't remember waking up or being sick for two weeks after the encounter, but my father, uncle and grandfather told me that they spent those weeks questioning her sanity, puking up unusual green fill smelling liquid and having sporadic fevers. I asked all of them at different times after my grandmother told the story. My uncle and father live in different parts of Arizona, and my grandfather split from my grandmother. But they all told me pretty much the same story about what took place afterwards. I even got some other experiences from them. I have no way of proving this is true, but after seeing my grandmother get so uncomfortable telling the story 30 years later, I believe it with all my soul. I was only 11 at the time of the story. My family has property in Blanding, Utah, that we like to use for camping and other fun stuff. My grandma and I were driving back home after spending the weekend down there. We got to Monticello when I had to use the bathroom really bad, and the closest building we saw was a pottery store, so we stopped there. It was evening time as I remember the sun setting. Before going inside, I saw an older woman standing across the street with a huge walking stick. I waved at her because I thought the stick looked cool and she smiled and waved back. After coming back outside, she was gone, but in the distance I could see a deer prancing away. I was bummed because I wanted to see the stick closer because it looked like it had carvings and other things hanging from the top. As we were about two hours further into our drive home, it was super dark and we were driving through a canyon when all of a sudden I had this massive sense of something watching me. I looked out of the window and could barely see a big deer running on the hillside, keeping pace with our car. I was excited and told my grandma to slow down and look because it really was a massive looking deer. When she slowed down I was pointing at it. I swear it locked eyes with me and for some reason I had a feeling of familiarity, but also like my heart was going to jump from my body. The familiar feeling was akin to seeing someone from elementary school, but not quite sure I actually knew them. My grandma told me she couldn't see anything, which I thought was crazy, but she told me to just get some rest as she continued to speed up. I have told the story to a few friends and they didn't think it was all too interesting. I can still remember both what the women looked like and the deer almost as if they were standing in front of me. It was the late June of 1968. My dad was 12. My grandparents had moved a few months earlier from Tucson, Arizona to Concho, Arizona. Concho was vastly different that Tucson both in landscape and temperature. Sitting at 5,000 feet above sea level, the summer temperatures were around 70 degrees in comparison to the 100s in summertime Tucson. Resting at the edge of the White Mountains, the land is red, yellow and brown sandstone cliffs and buttes against the larger ancient Basalt flow ridge that lines the north from the Springville volcanic range. Concho, well, Old Concho as it's referred to now, sits among the high-altitude desert, with large basalt ridge bordering the east and north. In the valley and dry riverbed was dotted by large groves of cottonwood trees. The buttes and ridges boasted large twisted juniper and cedar trees. Only about 200 people lived in Concho at that time. It's in pretty close proximity to the petrified forest, so petrified wood was plentiful on the valley floor. There were also numerous ancient Anasazi ruins scattered along the valley. My great uncle had moved his family to Concho as well. My grandpa had recently finished his civil engineering degree, and he and my great uncle were doing highway construction all around the White Mountains. They had both purchased land in the Concho area, for pretty cheap. My great uncle had two sons who were a year older and a year younger than my dad, Tony and Zach. Tony was 13 and Zach was 11. My dad and his cousins were inseparable. They would spend their days exploring the surrounding landscape, accompanied by my dad's American bulldog, Sarge. They had found quite a few ruins, numerous pictographs and some old abandoned abode homesteads probably from the late 19th century. Every morning, weather permitting, they would load up their bags with canteens, balagna sandwiches and head out into the wilderness to play and explore. My grandparents' and great-aunt and uncles' rules was for the children to return by sunset. As my dad recalls, on one particular summer morning, they had hiked west towards the edge of the giant basalt ridge to explore. After going for about a mile or so, they came upon a area running adjacent to the ridge. Large black boulders and giant slabs of sandstone peppered the wash. The banks were pretty steep, but they would have to cross it if they want to explore the ridge on the other side. They made their way down slowly. Once in Ario, they realised that the opposite bank was too steep to climb. So they started following it west to find a better place to climb up. My dad said as soon as they got into the riverbed, he started getting an unnerving feeling, like they were being watched. He said it was extremely quiet, no birds, or Circad's chirping. It was hot as well, no breeze stirred the air. The further they walked down the wash, the more a sense of urgency began to build in his gut. He didn't say anything though, for fear that his cousins would laugh at him. About a half mile or so down the wash, it made a bend around a large volcanic boulder. Suddenly Sarge began a low growl. Here standing up in his back, This startled all three of the kids, looking around they didn't see anything, so encouraging the dog they moved closer to the bend. Sarge, well, he stayed rooted to the spot, growling and snarling and barking. All three of the boys began to get scared, they agreed that maybe they should just turn around. They noticed that there was a spot where they could climb out of the wash. They hadn't noticed it at first but it looked almost like a game trail. Adrenaline fueling them, they hauled ass up the side of the embankment towards the ridge, the dog darting after them. The whole time the bad feeling was growing stronger with my dad. Breathless, they stopped at the top to catch their breath. Sitting against a large boulder, they took some drinks from the canteen and assured each other that Sarge probably smelled a coyote or spotted a rabbit. Here, the game trail was more apparent had even worn into some of the volcanic and sandstone that protruded from the ground. Intrigued, they decided to follow it. They decided to follow it as a ways to find a shady spot to eat lunch. They noticed that there was a lot of petroglyphs dotting the black rocks. Geometric shapes, animal, human figures, there were so many. Finally, they found a large juniper with a gnarled trunk and ate their lunch in shade. Bellies full and excitement-replacing fear, they hurried along the trail as it slowly zigged and zagged the side of the basalt ridge, avoiding large areas of rock falls. The pictographs began to change as well along the trail. Lots of spirals and horned-looking men. My dad even said there was one that looked like a UFO. Turning around a bend, the trail suddenly disappeared. Only one space of the edge of the cliff. There was nowhere else to go, cliff drop off to one side and a sheer cliff going up about 50 feet on the other. My dad, he was disappointed but also a little relieved, as the sun was getting further west and were pretty far from Concho now. They could see the town in the distance, as well as a zuni Holly mountain and mesas that dotted a distant Navajo reservation. Although they were disappointed, they decided that it was worth looking at the view. They started making their way down the trail when they spotted an opening in the cliffside, a side canyon. They hadn't noticed on the way up. It was behind a large twisted cedar, the tree's shadow had hidden it. It looked almost like there was another trail going into the divide. The opening was only about four feet wide. Looking at it, the unnerving feeling returned to my dad. His stomach dropped and he felt like it was twisting in knots. The hair on the back neck stood up. Tony suggested that they should detour and check it out. My dad protested, saying that they needed to get back. Zach, well, he stayed silent. He looked as frightened as my dad felt. Tony laughed when looking at them and called them both sissies. He said if they didn't want to go, fine. They could wait there for him and be babies if they wanted to. Sarge had run down the trail and was out of sight. My dad whistled for him, but he didn't return. Zack decided he'd follow Tony, so my dad stayed behind while they entered the narrow, black-walled canyon. When they moved out, my dad's field of vision, the wind picked up, whooshing through the canyon and trees making a creepy sound. It was quiet except the wind, and my dad thought he had heard faint voices on the air. He shivered, the ominous feeling growing stronger. Ten minutes passed, then twenty, and still Tony and Zach had not returned. A large cloud had covered the sun and drops of rain began to fall. My dad moved under the cedar to get out of the light rain that began to fall. He sat on a rock and began to shiver. Suddenly, something grabbed his shoulder. He jumped up about three feet and screamed. He heard laughter. It was Tony and Zach. They looked extremely excited. Look you'll never believe what we found, they exclaimed, almost breathless. We found some Indian steps and they lead to a cave. They begged my dad to come see it, it wasn't far, only about 10 minutes into the canyon. My dad followed, reluctantly, knowing they weren't going to agree to go home until they showed him. Plus, he felt a little braver and more intrigued now. Sure enough, around a bend and about 20 yards into the canyon, the canyon was wider here, about 20 to 30 feet across, and there were indeed foot and handholds carved into the rock wall. My dad had seen steps like them before when his parents had taken him to Chaco Canyon National Park. They were smaller than the ones in Chaco and only went up about 20 feet to the darkened mouth of the small cave. He shivered, either from excitement or fear, he wasn't quite sure. From the bottom of the canyon, there was no way of telling how large the cave was. They dropped their packs and decided to use the foot and handholds to climb up to the cave, against my dad's better judgement. The rain had stopped but they slowly and carefully made their way because the rock had become slick. It took about 10 minutes to ascend. My dad called for Sarge from the top again, but the dog still hadn't returned. The cave was much larger and deeper than they expected and the entrance was decorated with hundreds of petroglyphs. The light didn't penetrate very far in, but they could see light in the distance from an opening in the roof, so they entered. Light adjusting to the dark, they started to notice that the ground was covered with objects. What looked like rocks and debris now revealed itself to be pots. Beautifully painted pots of all shapes and sizes. Black on white, painted with geometric patterns, and animals' red pots, and even more yellow ones, large corrugated pots holding dried corn and crusty squash and beans. There were also pots filled with arrowheads and beets, drums and flutes. They didn't touch anything and kept walking deeper into the cave. They looked around in shock and in awe. They had just discovered something big, something very, very big. They moved hurriedly now towards a second bit of light streaming in from the crack on the roof. The cave was littered with all sorts of artifacts, materials, stone axes, pots of all shapes, colours and sizes. They felt as though they had just discovered King Toot's tomb as they passed under the crack. They noticed that there were objects in alcoves in the wall. My dad moved closer to one and his blood froze. He was looking at a human body, it was decayed skin and hair clinging to patches and its mouth open in what looked like a silent scream. He leaped back, Tony and Zack also froze. The walls were lined with alcoves filled with ornately dressed bodies, lining the walls as far as they could see in the darkness. Suddenly an ominous and horrendous penetrating screech broke the silence of the cave. While well, three boys jumped, my dad looked in the direction from where the sound came from and saw two red and glowing eyes. He froze, locked in place by the glowing red eyes. Suddenly, the cave was washed over with a stench of decay and death. The eyes began to move towards the boys, slowly. Another had his growl and screech jolted them from being petrified in place. The eyes were moving fast, now right towards them. And they heard thudding or running footfall. They turned and tore out of the cave as fast as they could. They ran as fast as their legs could carry them in a blind panic. The entrance to the cave was maybe 30 yards away. My dad looked back against his better judgment and saw a man on all fours or giant coyote. He hadn't been sure. Streak across the lights in the back of the cave, its red eyes not blinking. He pushed himself faster, screaming for the others to also run faster. They reached the edge of the cave, having turned around to scrabble back down the foot and handholds. Zack got there first and began descending as fast as he could. Tony was next. His face a wash of horror as he went down the face. My dad's heart was hammering at his brain by now. He turned and saw his eyes only about 20 feet from him. The stench of decay was overpowering. It made his stomach turn. Fast as he could placed his feet in the first set of footholds and started clambering down the rock face. He could hear the creature's breathe now, and even feel it. Oh shit, it was at the edge. He refused to look up, trying to concentrate on his hand and footholds. He heard Tony scream from below him and looked to see Tony lose his hold and slip about five feet from the bottom. He landed on his side and began to howl with pain. My dad slowed himself a bit, still not daring to look up. After what seemed like an eternity, As he leaped from the cliffside down to the last two feet, Zack was helping Tony to his feet, and Tony was frozen looking at the cave and ancient staircase. All the colour gone from his face. My dad, he was in full panic and not looking, grabbed Tony, helped Zack drag him away. They flew down the little canyon, finally before they passed the turn. My dad looked back to see the red eyes watching them from the darkness. Another howl screech rang from the cave and at that moment, sergeant and a full run came from a round bend, growling and barking. He ran to the foot and handhold staircase and bellowed up that cave, the hair on his back standing straight up, snarling and growling. The sounds of the dog filled the canyon. As my dad turned a corner, he saw those red eyes retreat back into the cave. They emerged from the small canyon and stopped briefly to catch their breath. The sounds of Sarge barking and growling echoing down the canyon. Tony was crying now, his face awash with pain. His arm, he said, he thinks he broke it. Zach, well, he was silent. My dad asked Tony if he could make it home. Tony responded he sure the hell wasn't staying anywhere near whatever that was. Suddenly a shrill cry came from the canyon. It was a dog in pain. Sarge, my dad cried. But Tony and Zach had started running down the trail. Sarge, my dad screamed again, tears welling in his eyes. There was no response. It was quiet. Sarge, come. Still, nothing. Suddenly, my dad thinks he hears something. He looks up to the canyon entrance. Footfall? No. It seemed like drums. My dad sits there in confusion. Drums? What the hell? Um, Is he losing his mind? The drums are getting louder. Is this in his mind? Where is Sarge? He can't leave him. My dad sees Zack leering back up to the trail. Look, we have to go. The drums are louder now, and he can hear faint chanting. Zack grabs my dad and jerks him to his feet. -don't, Don't you hear that? He screams and shakes my dad. We have to run. My dad is woken from his grief, as fear washes over him again. He runs down the trail with Zack. Tony is awaiting at the edge of the Ariel waiting for them. The wash is now running, about six inches deep. They notice for the first time that a large thunderhead has developed to the south. A huge large black storm dominating the southern horizon. Lightning flashing in the distance. A new source of danger crosses my dad's mind. Flash floods. He tells Tony and Zach they need to cross the Ario as fast as possible. If it is flash floods, they will be stuck on the side with a basalt ridge with whatever that thing was. They make their way was down carefully and slowly. Tony is having a hard time because of his injured arm. They can now hear thunder rolling across the air, and the wind has increased. My dad is keeping a close eye on the creek, which has only risen a couple of more inches. They make all the way down and across the creek. The place where they crossed is only thirty yards or so ahead so they scrabble their way towards it. The water is rising now at an alarming rate. They are going as fast as their legs will carry them. They're exhausted but keep pushing on. Suddenly, my dad who is bringing up the rear hears loud splashing and panting coming from behind him. His heart drops. It followed them. It's getting closer. He closes his eyes bracing for impact. He feels something wet, lick the back of his swinging hands. He turns bracing for impact and sees Sarge. Joy engulfs my dad. He bends down and gives Sarge a quick hug. His dogs run past and the dog bound after Tony and Zach as they climbed out of the Oreo. My dad runs and begins to climb. When he's almost to the top, he hears crashing and loud snapping coming from the Oreo. Making it to the top, he sees a wave of brown debris-filled water crash through the wash. He falls to his butt and watches as the flash flood fills the little canyon. Tony and Zach are lying on the ground, panting and gasping for air. My dad tries to catch his breath. He feels dizzy. He feels tears welling up and Sarge comes and licks his face whining. My dad sees that Sarge is covered with blood. He looks over the dog and finds several slash wounds on his back and snout. His ear is also torn. They don't look deep, but he can't be sure. Zack is the first to speak. He asks what it was, and no one responds. Tony's arm is beginning to swell pretty badly, and it's only a few hours till dusk. They are all thirsty and realise in their panic that they left their packs in the small canyon, along with their canteens. They are no longer in a hurry, they are exhausted. They drink some rainwater that has pooled in one of the large sandstone boulders. They figure whatever that thing was, it's not going to be getting across the Ario for a few hours, so they slowly make their way back to Concho as the thunderhead to the south continues to drench the landscape. The three boys and Sarge make it home around 8. The sun has set, and my grandparents and great uncle and aunt are worried sick. They're relieved and angry until they see the condition of the trio and the dog. The boys tell them their horrendous tale and Tony's parents rush Tony to the nearest doctor in Holbrook. That night, my dad sleeps with Sarge at the end of his bed. Despite his extreme exhaustion, he is plagued with nightmares. One is especially terrifying, where he sees the red eyes looking in through his window. When he wakes though, in the morning, his curtains are closed. The rains continued for two or three days. The boys don't leave their homes, still terrified of what happened. My grandpa and great-uncle are convinced that what the boys encountered was a mountain lion, but they are intrigued by the story of the Indian burial cave. A few days later when the weather is clear, they tell the boys they want to see this cave. They make the journey faster this time, use my great-uncle Willie's jeep. My grandpa and great-uncle also bring along a couple of shotguns and rifles in case the The lion is still in the cave. The boys show them the ario, which has been filled with new boulders and broken trees from the flash flooding. They find the trail and start making their way up. My grandpa on the front and great uncle taking the rear. They find the boys packs caught in cedar bush. They have been shredded and are in tatters. My grandpa figures they must have been caught by another flood and ended up in the trees. They finally make it to the little hidden canyon which has been blocked by a juniper that washed down during the rain. My grandpa and great uncle get the log out of the way and go down up the canyon to the Indian staircase. When they look up, though, they can make out the darkness of the cave. The water washed away all signs of the boy's previous passage. My grandpa figures maybe at this time of day the cave is more illuminated, so he and my great uncle climb up to the f- and handholds to the top. The boy's way to the bottom having no desire to go back up there. It's only my dad and Zach. Tony, with his broken arm, stayed home. My grandpa calls down for them to climb up. They do as they're told and climb. When my dad reaches the top, he is stunned. The cave is gone. It's only a 20-foot rock alcove next to a black basalt cliff covered with petroglyphs. He's confused, looking around wordlessly. He goes over to the walls looking for cracks or seams and sees nothing. My grandpa and great uncle question the boys. Were they making up stories? Um, No, they weren't. Something attacked Sarge and the boys hadn't made up being that frightened. They conclude that the boys must have forgotten where their cave was. The dads aren't mad. It's a neat area. Maybe some other weekend they will look for the cave again. My dad and Zach know that this is where the cave was. There's no doubt in their minds. They found their packs and even passed by the UFO petroglyph, but they can't convince the adults, so they make their way into the Jeep that is parked on the far bank of the Ario. As they load up, sun sinking low in the western sky, my dad looks back at the black abasal ridge, wondering if maybe it was all just a dream. Something in the shadow of a cliff catches his eye. He squints against the sun and sees two red shining eyes looking back at him. His blood goes cold. He turns around as the Jeep pulls away. My grandparents only stayed in Concho for another few months. As soon as my grandpa finished the highway project, he got a job offer in the US Virgin Islands. My dad said after the encounter, he had nightmares every night and would swear at night he'd see red eyes at night outside of the house until they finally moved from Concho. My dad never had a nightmare about the eyes again, but it wasn't the last encounter with the red-eyed creature. He would see it again when he was an adult. But that is the story for another time. It almost felt like a dream. I woke up to my dog Lucy barking. She was upright on the bed where my husband and I were sleeping with our 22-month-old daughter, staring at our door like an unknown stranger was out there rummaging around. I thought she was just freaking out over a house noise. We'd only had her for three months and she was still a puppy. It could have been anything, our roommate, a creak from the house settling, the awnings moving outside in the breeze. I wasn't too concerned initially. I decided the best bet would be to open the door and show her nothing was there. It sounds a bit silly, but it's what we do with our daughter when she gets scared, and I figured it should work with a puppy too. I opened the door and she raced through the front door. She stood there, snarling at the door. It was an angry, violent growl, one I'd never heard her make before. I looked groggily at her and opened the baby gate blocking the doorway planning to open the door and show her that everything was okay. The second my hand reached for the dead bolt, Lucy went wild. She started barking and jumping towards me, and when I touched the metal, she suddenly changed her temper. She whimpered, almost like she was afraid and backing down. As her mannerism changed, so did mine. I wasn't calm anymore. My heart was racing and sinking at the same time, I had been flooded with a mixture of fear and dread. I looked through the peephole. I can't explain why I looked, but I did. And outside were two kids. One was just a smidgen shorter than me, and didn't look much younger. I'm 21, and she looked to be 16 or maybe 17. She was slender and pale, her hair was a long shade of honey blonde, and she wore it long, about mid-back with long, thin, blunt bangs in the front that covered most of her eyes. She wore jeans, a light wash that's popular right now, and a thin-looking, olive-colored pullover-style hoodie. She held the hand of a small girl, who looked to be around three or four, in the same style jeans and button-down ivory cardigan. The smaller one looked at the floor shyly, but had the same shade of hair, tied back in a ponytail. She held a stuffed toy under her free arm, and it was identical to one my daughter has, as was their style of dress. Had it not been for the feeling of overwhelming dread and fear, I probably would have asked these children in and given them some tea or hot chocolate to get them out of the bitter cold. Something about them seemed off. At this point, I hadn't made any noise, I hadn't shushed a dog or grumbled, nothing. I hadn't turned on any lights. These kids had no indicators that I was at the door. The older one spoke. She had a voice that was mature, confident, strong, and accentless. She held her head tilted downward, and I couldn't see her eyes. She said, we have to use your phone. I stood frozen in fear. How did she know I was there? She raised her head to face me directly, and that was when I saw her eyes. There was a reason I couldn't see them through her bangs before. They were black, or midnight blue, or a dark, dark purple. They were otherworldly. She said, our mother is worried. As someone who always been interested in creepy stories, I knew what she was the second she looked at me through the door. I have never been one to believe in these things as a staunch atheist and skeptic when it comes to the paranormal. I'd written off many a ghost story from friends and family members eager to tell their tale. I didn't believe it, but still, I couldn't rationalize my way out of this. I was standing with nothing but a thin wooden door between me and a black-eyed kid. There was no question what was right in front of me. I did not answer her. Slowly and silently, I backed away from the door, Lucy still cowering at my ankles. She kept talking, just let us in to use your phone. I took another step back, and with that step the tone changed, at first she seemed polite. When I took that second step back, she became commanding, almost hostile, we are not going to hurt you, if we wanted to do that we would have broken in. I'll ask again, may we come in and use your phone? Lucy snarled at the door, and I inched backward, though something inside me seemed to be slowly pulling me back towards the door. It wasn't a physical pulling so much as a subconscious need to go back and let them in. I got to my room, covered up the window, unlocked the door, and sat there in the dim light of the nightlight. I heard her call me back to the door once more, and then quiet. I didn't go back to sleep that night, and I haven't slept right since. I know from reading about them that black-eyed children can't just come in without permission. I know they haven't hurt anyone, but I still fear I'll be an exception. When I told my husband, he said it was just a dream. He keeps telling me to forget about it, but there's lingering feeling of sadness, this dread when the house is silent at night, this fear of a knock at the door, this tells me otherwise. I was riding the bus back home after work, it was about 1am. I am a security guard and often work odd hours. So I'm sitting there and this guy gets on, sits across from me. He was wearing a suit, had a briefcase, regular looking guy in his twenties. What struck me about him at first was that he was chewing a cigar, not smoking it. You can't smoke on the bus. So I was just looking at him while he stared out of the window and chewed his cigar and all of a sudden he turned and looked at me. His eyes were pitch black, just as you described. My heart started beating like a madman, and I felt my gorge rising. I was starting to panic and had no idea why. I was just pants-shittingly terrified of this guy. Then he grinned at me, and his teeth were all covered in tobacco bits and brown juice. The cigar clamped between them but instead I had the presence of mind to just get up and take the seat right behind a driver. I calmed down a bit after that, but I kept an eye on the guy. He ended up chatting with some girl that got on, and they were still talking when I got off. And I will later convince myself that he was trolling me, having fun with a pair of contacts. But now I kind of wonder. This is so funny, I've never heard of black-eyed kids before in my instance, so I come on here to post my story, and the first story I see is about black-eyed kids. Kinda weird, right? Let me preface this by saying I'm by no means a writer, just a domestic engineer, living in North Texas. Also, I don't believe in the paranormal, ghosts, demons, aliens, or whatever. However, I did have an event happen to me this Halloween, I have to admit, has me scratching my head. This is my first post on Reddit, and sorry to say I'd never even heard about it until yesterday. I told my best friend about my instant, and she is an avid reader of No Sleep, and she told me if I didn't post it, she would. So here I am. Anyway, I hope you liked. So it had been a slow trick-or-treat night in our neighbourhood that evening. Which is pretty odd in itself. We usually have kids from different areas dropped off in ours and have constant parade at our door. That night I'd say we had no more than 8 or 10 groups of kids come by the entire night. It was about 9.30pm and my husband and I were sitting in our family room watching some of those ghost shows based on supposedly actual events. Like I said, I don't believe in that stuff, but I do like a good story now and then, and it was Halloween after all. We hadn't had any activity at the door in over half an hour, and it was getting late, so we decided to turn the porch light off and let our dog Chloe out of our crate. Chloe is an American bulldog and is very docile. We only put her in a crate because we were afraid she'd try and get out to play with all the kids, and I didn't want to have to chase after her down the street. Also, we didn't want her to scare any of the kids because she would look a little intimidating to the younger kids. So I turned the outside light off to let Chloe out and she followed me back to the couch and lay down at my feet. It was getting close to 10pm when my husband decided he'd had enough fun for the night and was going to go upstairs, take a shower and get ready for bed. After all, it was a Thursday and he still had to get up early the next day. My teenager son was out with his friends at the local haunted house and wasn't expected back for another hour or so, so that left me alone on the couch with Chloe. Now, just because I don't believe doesn't mean those shows don't freak me out a bit, and being alone now watching I'd have to say it was kind of on edge, as it were. It wasn't long after I heard the upstairs water for the shower turn on when there came a light, knock, 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 at the front door. My initial reaction was, what the hell, really? It's almost 10, just go home. But soon an uneasy feeling came over me. Why the knock? Her doorbell glows and in the dark and without the porch light it would be extra obvious to anyone there. I paused. I couldn't really just ignore it. Her front door has a big bevealed glass panel and anybody right at the door could see in enough to see someone was in the family room watching TV. It would be pretty rude for me just to sit there and not answer it. Knock, knock, knock again from the front door. I glanced down at Chloe and she was gone. My gaze followed her usual path to the front door, expecting her to be on her way there as she normally does. Nothing. She wasn't there. I stood up to look around the room better and found her, crouching by the back door like she was wanting out. However, she never asks to go out like that. She always comes and licks my hand, or puts her head on my knee. This was totally out of character for her, and I have to say heightened my anxiety. Chloe, crate! I said. She just turned back to look at me like, hell no, lady, I ain't moving. I yelled up to my husband, but if he was already in the shower, I knew there was no chance of him hearing me. Knock, knock, knock and cast just enough light on the door to where I could see the silhouettes of two small children through the glass. I instantly felt relief. It was just some kids, probably a couple of my neighbours on their way back home that wanted to stop by and show me their costume or something. I headed to the door and looked back to make sure Chloe wasn't going to follow. What a great watchdog I thought to myself as she just sat there. I turned on the porch light when I got to the door and sure enough I could see through the glass. But it was a couple of pretty small kids. A little late for such young ones, I thought, and I began to wonder about what kind of parents would let their kids run the streets that late at night. I only opened the door enough to where I could block Chloe's escape if she decided to grow some balls, which was only about two feet away. What struck me immediately as odd was the kids weren't wearing any costumes. They were in normal street clothes, also no customary trick-or-treat either. I began to feel very uneasy again. It was a girl and a boy. The girl to my left was older, I'd say about eleven or twelve. I could tell she was blonde but I couldn't make out any distinct features as our lights are from high above and on columns at the front of the porch, so most of the light was coming from behind them. I had not opened the door wide enough for any light from inside to hit them directly. The boy was younger and about a foot shorter. I'd say maybe eight or nine, and looked to have light brown hair. The girl very politely spoke up. Ma'am, can we please come inside and use your phone to call our mum? As she spoke, something in the pit of my stomach was telling me something was wrong. What kid, even at that age, doesn't have a cell phone of their own these days? I couldn't remember the last time I had anybody asked to use my home phone. Um, hon don't you have a phone of your own you can call your mum on? I asked. This was when things got, um, weird. So both kids turned to look at one another like they were going to say something to one another. But neither ever spoke. They both turned back to me and the girl said, Ma'am, my cell phone battery doesn't have any charge left in it. Can we please come inside and call our mother? We're alone out here and my brother is scared. I have to admit there were two competing feelings going on inside me. The first, that of a mother's heart that wanted to help these two small children get to their mum. The other, a sinking fear in my gut that was keeping the other feeling at bay. It was then that I noticed that during the short conversation I had already opened the door a few extra inches, which I was completely unaware of doing. I stopped. Honey, why don't you give me your mother's number and I can call her myself? Another pause, and they again looked at one another. After a short moment, they turned back to me and the girl said, Ma'am, my little brother has to use your bathroom. Can we please come inside while you call her mum? And with that last statement, the little girl moved closer towards the door like she was going to just walk in on by me. As she did, she stepped into the light coming from inside the house, and I got my first real good look at her. Solid, jet black eyes. That's all I could see. That motherly instinct was gone and replaced by terror I don't think I've ever felt in my life. I could feel every hair on my arm and back of my neck standing at attention. I closed the door to where just my face was able to stick out. The little girl stopped and again pleaded. Please, ma'am, we're really scared alone out here. We have to come inside. Please help us. Then, like on cue, both kids began to whimper and cry. That's when the fear took over and I shut and locked the door. I'll call your mum if you give me the number, I shouted through the door, but I'm not letting you in my house. I could still see them stand there on the porch, just staring at me through a beveled glass pane. Part of me wanted to run upstairs to my husband, but the bigger part of me didn't want to lose track of where they were. That would have freaked me out even more, to not know where they were. After what seemed like forever, but probably only a few seconds, I decided I'd call my neighbour that lives across the street. As I made my way to the side table by our couch to my phone, I glanced at the back door. Chloe was nowhere to be found. We later found her in a guest room under the bed. When I got to my phone and started to look for his contact info, it was only then that the kid stepped away from the door and began to walk down the street. As they did, I walked to the door to get a better look to see where they went, still not calling my neighbour. If you get close enough to the glass you can see out enough to make out people's shapes, but you can't see much detail. Of course, standing that close to the door would make you pretty obvious to anyone outside looking in. From the door, I could see that the kids were still standing under the street lamp nearest my house, staring at me, as I lifted the phone to my ear after calling. Only then did the kids start walking down our street. I met my neighbour out under the lamp once he was out there, but the kids were nowhere to be seen. Like I said, I don't believe in any of this stuff and I've never heard about black-eyed kids before talking to my friend. What I really think, well, what I have to think, is that these kids were just out yanking people's chains on Halloween night, but I will say this for them, they were good. Really good at it. They scared the crap out of me and my dog. This really freaked me out. Yesterday, I noticed my neighbour hadn't put out all of his Halloween decorations and lights. The past two years I've lived next to him, he's gone all out for Halloween. I don't know him well, he's younger, single, but I know he likes kids, but not in a creepy way. His brother and sister-in-law and their kids are always visiting him and he plays with his three young nieces and nephews out in the yard. So anyway, I got home from work and was walking up my driveway and saw him outside and said something like, Hey man, you better get your Halloween stuff up or that house up the street is going to beat you for the best decorations. He kind of smiles sheepishly and says that he's actually going to keep his house dark this year and just put candy out i asked if he was going out of town but he said no something happened last year that really scared him now i was concerned for my own safety if some weirdos were coming around our neighbourhood which is a pretty safe neighbourhood with tons of young families living here so i asked him what happened he said last year he had he said last year he had his brother's family over so they could trick-or-treat in the neighbourhood since they live in an apartment complex that doesn't do much for Halloween. He had a bunch of kids come to the door like always. This family took off around 10.30 and there were only a few older trick-or-treaters. But by 11.30 they were pretty much done. So he was inside watching TV and the doorbell rings. He grabs the candy bowl and heads over. Noticing that it's a little past midnight and that's pretty rude for trick-or-treaters to still be out. But then noticed he hadn't turned off all his decoration lights yet, so his house is still a beacon. He swings the door open and is about to yell boo or something to freak them out, but stops dead when he sees the kids at the door. He said one was probably around 13 or 14 and the other around 16 or 17, both male. They weren't dressed up, but he remembers the older one was wearing a flannel checkered shirt. He was immediately overcome with uneasiness, like opening the door was a huge mistake. They just stared at him and he noticed they had really big irises and dilated pupils. He couldn't even see the whites of their eyes, so he figured they were on. So he figured they were contact lenses. He was frozen there holding the candy bowl, like he couldn't slam the door in their face as much as he wanted to. So he nervously tried to smile at them, hoping they would break character and ask for candy or something. The younger one said that he had gotten lost and needed to come in and use his phone. That was when he closed the door more than halfway on them and said, no, sorry. And the older one said something like, can we just come in your house until our parents come and get us? But by then he was convinced that his life was in danger and these kids must be high on something but intending to rob him and he just kept mumbling no sorry good night," as he inched the door closed and locked it. He told me he was so scared at that point that they were going to try and break in through one of his windows or something but he looked through the peephole and they had turned to leave. He watched TV with the volume really low so he could hear any sounds at all and he said he stayed up till about 5am because he was too scared to go to bed and drop his guard. The whole time he's telling me this, I'm thinking, oh my god, this sounds so familiar. Just like the black-eyed kid's urban legend. Then I thought, hey, maybe this dude is trying to scare me because after all, he does have the Halloween spirit. So I'm looking at him, incredulously, but try not to seem too gullible. So I'm like, man, that is really crazy. Sounds like the black-eyed Kids." He just looks at me blankly. The what? Is that a movie or something? And I said no, but told him to go look it up online. Like an hour later, I get a knock on my door, and immediately almost jump out of my skin thinking it's a demon child. It was my neighbour, and his eyes were freaking huge. He swears to me up and down that he had never heard of black-eyed kids before, and it's so similar to what happened to him. So we talked a while longer and I told him that quite a few people probably know about that turban legend, and it's possible it was just teenagers with black contacts trying to freak people out on Halloween, which would be genius by the way, but he said the fear he felt was so primal and came over him the second he opened the door for them. The incident took place about 13 years ago. I had just moved to a new city with my wife. We were small town newlyweds from the Midwest. We moved cross country to one of the biggest cities in the southwest so I could attend graduate school. Being naive and used to city living, I habitually answered the door without a second thought, but never again after this. The first thing that should have tipped me off was the peculiarity of the situation was the fact that someone was knocking at six in the morning. The second thing that should have dawned on me is that this kid had to reach over a rather tall patio gate and latch and open it. The knock at the door was startling. My wife and I were getting ready for work, a pretty normal routine. The moment I opened the door, I was overtaken with an inexplicable sense of fear. To this day, I can picture him. Teenager, average height, average build. Knee-length black leather coat, short black hair and sunglasses. The sunglasses at 6am struck me as odd and even more odd he was eating an apple. He was very polite and asked if he could come in and warm up. I said no and closed the door and slid the security chain into place. A moment later, there was another knock. I opened the now chain door and before I could speak, he asked again if he could come in and warm up. No, I replied and attempted to close the door. Before the door could shut, he put his hand out, stopping the door on its hinges. He looked directly into my eyes, studying his sunglasses and said, Can I at least get some ketchup for my apple? Fuck that, I replied, albeit a little confused. Get the hell out of here, my wife is calling the police. He takes a moment to let the information sink in. Lures his glasses, revealing eyes as black as obsidian and says, No, you won't be calling anybody. At that moment, I force the door closed, lock it, and call out to my wife. She is terrified, hiding in the bedroom, all jacked up in adrenaline. I rip the curtains back to look out the window next to the door. He's gone. Absolutely no trace of him. I go out onto the patio and check the gate. It's still latched from the inside. That was messed up, I think to myself, as I turn to enter the house. I noticed half an eaten apple lying on the ground.